and we're live okay my friend so today i'm happy to have you on the show you are a university friend of mine we went to the same school temple university school of social work and you sir are one of the most important people but underrated people in the world you are a social worker correct <laughs> yes so yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit about what, uh, what kind of social work you, you do these days. Yeah, man. So, you know, it's been a, been a little bit since we've been out of undergrad. So, you know, been a social worker for a little bit. Um, done a little bit of everything. So I used, I've always worked for kids. Kids have always been my population of choice. Um, right now, I work for the school district of Philadelphia as a school social worker in their STEP oh, program, nice. which essentially is just a school social worker position, um, but a, a, on a team of mental health um, uh, clinicians that I am the coordinator for. Um, but I've also worked in ho hospital settings. I worked at the crisis center where we did evaluations for kids, seeking emergency evaluations for some kind of mental health crisis or behavioral health crisis. And then before that I was doing family therapy with children with autism and then before that, that's uh, what, what was I doing then? Oh, uh, that, that's the first job out of undergrad where I was working with uh, kids uh, coming out of um, juvenile placements for weapons charges. So I've done a little bit of everything. Wow, man. So, I mean, for, for those for people who don't know how difficult social work is, how, how do you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen some crazy shit and just <laughs> stressful days that are hard to imagine. So what kind of things do you do to manage your stress? Because I know that's a very important thing in that field where you have to take care of yourself. You're taking care of other people with serious problems, but how do you, what do you do to take care of yourself and just kind of balance that work, work life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you're good, you need the, the balance because some days are really, really hard. Um, and luckily I have like a really great supportive wife uh, that allows me to just, you know, chill at home when I need that space, even if I don't want to talk about it. Cause you know, sometimes you just don't want to talk about that stuff. You know, I play a lot of video games, um, hang out with my dog, you know, normally I would exercise, but right now I'm getting over uh, COVID still. So my lungs are a little messed oh. up. So um, not like long COVID, just like, have asthma and they say like it's going to be a little bit so exercising is a normal thing that i do so you know it's really 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 important to find that out like because if you don't all that stuff you can just kind of carry with you right and it builds into it seeps into the other aspects of your life and like how you take care of yourself how you take care of other people and also how you have, how effective you are at your job if someone's done um and if you're like burnt out, how are you really giving your all to the people that you're trying to help? Mm. Yeah, it takes a, a special person because I remember when I was doing some social work as like, as I was studying in school with you, it's like, I'm kind of a sensitive person. Like I, I take in everything into my heart and then I, I hold it. So it's hard to release that. Um, so yeah, like, um, do you ever just have cases where, you just can't get it out of your mind. It's just kind of haunting you. Um, I wouldn't say haunt because um, that kind of goes against the whole philosophy of not 
that I hold for myself, that I, the system I've made for myself have hung with me for a couple of days where I, I keep thinking about if I, if something could have done differently or how, what the next steps are because of how intense it can be or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I mean, it happens. Like that's just any, any difficult, stressful work, you're going to have those days. It's only amplified in this field because instead of, you know, a, a missing zero on a spreadsheet, it is a, a live human being. Uh, so, it, you know, <laughs> not saying that, that uh, the, I'm, it's mistakes that I'm upset about. Obviously, I'm always upset about my mistakes, but those are teachable moments because nothing I've ever done has ever been unethical or put anyone in harm's way. It's more of the circumstances that we see. And it's just like, you know, it's a lot of putting it in the place that you need it to be in the boxes that's going to help you. Um, you're allowed to feel those feelings because if you don't, then that's also a sign that you're not dealing with it in the right way. So, you know, an example that obviously I can't give any details, but it is- uh, Tell us about a case. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, the basic details is it's always something really, really, really terrible. I'm, you're right. I'm not going to go into detail because yeah. I don't know which one I'm gonna, I would say. But like, if it's really, really feeling like upsetting, taking, knowing to take that time either at the job or understanding that you got to feel those feelings then, you got to be able to process it. You have to understand it's the work, it's not you and how to deal with it because it's tough. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Everything that uh, I do is, you know, not to toot my own horn is really, really important because you're, a lot of this is developmental building blocks to set people up or building better relationships within families or uh, providing people with the necessary uh, supports they need to be successful. Yeah. And it's also, you're working with populations who, you know, historically and, you know, kids, especially who just have never had the proper support, which they deserved. And, you know, for whatever reasons have slipped through the cracks. So sometimes having just a nice person who cares coming through and saying like, Hey, I'm here for you. How can I help you? Whether it's, you know, connecting them to resources, you know, that can be just the fact that there's someone there trying to help is, can, can be really important for a kid just to, just to, just to know that. Um, what, so what made you, we had a quite an eclectic group at Temple. We Interesting did. people want to be social workers. So what, what made you want to be a social worker? Man, so that's a, that's a story and a half. So the, the, the joke, and maybe it's not even a joke, it's just a reality of anyone that goes into a mental health field, whether it's social work, family counseling, or something else, uh, always had something going on with them through their developmental years. No one wakes up one day and it's like, hey, I'm gonna deal with the hardest of hard things in society. So a lot of it, like, and at least for myself, maybe I've met on, uh, in my over 10 year career, uh, I've met on one hand the amount of social workers that are quote unquote normal, and nothing happens, which I don't <laughs> believe that either. Cause I mean, like, no, no. but uh, for me, so when I was younger, I had a lot of medical stuff going on. Um, and, you know, that, which was difficult for me at the time, cause it was a, 
something that was diagnosed when I was younger and it's a condition I still have and I have under wraps and everything's great. I've been great for over 15 years, that kind of thing. But when I was younger, I couldn't figure out, I felt different, right? Because any kid that doesn't have the, the space to process those feelings, it's like, oh, I'm the only one with this. No one's ever had this in the world. And then that gets into a cycle of, you know, kind of some depression. And it's already in my family. There's mental health, uh, there's mental illness in my family and cycling through and not getting in the right space. And, you know, you're thinking about where your own space in life is and life is, you know, what's the, uh, you know, your value here. And it gets into a cycle of really, really bad thinking. And, you know, you're in a bad place, but you have people, the, the people that help you along those journeys, those are the, the important things that helped me. Um, and it was always like my school counselor was the one of the big people um, that helped me get help uh, or helped me along my journey. That's the best way to put it. You know, that and some great, um, you know, medicine, which I'm always grateful for my, my access for uh, different kinds of providers and the area that I grew up. And, you know, that doesn't fall on me either, because if I was born somewhere else in this country or in this world, who knows if I would have been able to the access um, for what I needed. But it was the impact of the counselors, the social workers, the people that got me into that. And actually, I, I started uh, college as a psych major. Um, I actually wanted to go into psycho psychology. Um, yeah. I did. Uh, I actually wanted to go into neuropsychology to better understand brain stuff. Um, but <laughs> early in, uh, I, I mean, it was my sophomore year, is because my first year, I did all of my like, gen eds, all the stuff you need to knock out just for being a temple student. And the second year I took a bunch more of my psych classes. I learned really quick, or at least how the professors I took then taught it. And it was all a medical model. It was diagnose, prescribe, refer. And there's, you know, that's, that was the job that this, this Peter James, I'll always remember this dude's name. Uh, I, I hope, I don't think he'll listen to this podcast because I don't even know what he's doing. This is he's for you, Peter. He, Dr. Peter James in psych like 205 or some shit. Um, <laughs> he's going to get fired. No, he's not going to listen. No, he's not going to listen. If he does, I mean, I, I am actually grateful for it because yeah, right. it opened my eyes to be like, okay, this isn't how I view how I want to help people. Mm. And at the time, um, a classmate of ours who was in marching band of mine, if you remember Keisha, um, she was a social work major. And, you know, I was talking to her about like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to be a psych major anymore. She's like, have you thought about social work? And I was like, uh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, can, can you explain to more? And she's like, it's mental health, but we actually, you know, it's supposed to be targeting the whole system and the whole person, not just the individuals who they interact with it's where they live it's where do they go to school what's their jobs access to health care uh you know racial discrimination uh prejudice all those things and i'm just like oh man that is like that's what that's what you need to look at when you're helping people so that's how i became you know a, that was my journey into social work you know is past trauma and turning it into now social work gold wow yeah it's it's really true what you're saying like social work attacks the bigger picture and i also was attracted to that what do you think is the i agree with you totally about psychology like it's just like 
the model is you evaluate the symptoms and then you try to alleviate those symptoms without getting at the roots. And um, what do you think is like the, the main issue with the way we approach psychology in the West? I, I think, especially when we're talking Western school of thought here, right? It is all predicated on knowledge base and that's it. You know, it's one knowledge base and that's it. Where the gray areas here is therapy. You can't quantify therapy. It's not a one or a zero. Yes, there's scales that you actually can use for like quantification of it, but every person's different. They might have, they might present with similar things and you might at the end of the day diagnosis similar things, but it takes out the individual aspect of it. Now, that being said, I do think Western medicine is, has some very, very good points when it comes to mental health, like pharmacology and medicine and the drugs that are used to treat some of those. Absolutely. But the thing is, uh, that's only half of it. And that's not what's, that's not, not the culture around that, you know, especially in the States, it's, we're only at a place now that if you take antidepressants, you take anti-anxiety meds, you're not crazy anymore. It's like, like oh, you got anti, you have anxiety and depression. But these are things that have been studied in the world for over hundreds of years. They've been called different things. Like we didn't know what PTSD was, I guess, until the seventies, because it was called shell, uh, shell, shell shock because of the Vietnam war. They're like, Oh wait, maybe seeing traumatic things does things to people. And you know, the, the, rather than discussing the, yes, the meds are going to get you to a place that you're stable to discuss some of this, you got to still work through it. The other half needs to be the therapy. You need to go through that journey of healing, whatever that looks like for you. So, I mean, I, I think it's just the culture around one, you know, I did that one thing and now it's done. And, you know, it's, very much that kind of streamlined process of how our how American and Western culture works is, you know, do the one thing, keep it moving. It's ingrained with capitalism. Yeah, totally. And um, like when you when you look at the system, if you break it down in a lot of ways of how kind of in unequal the system is and unfair, and you see your clients dealing with like just you know everything stacked against them since they were born. Uh, what do you, do you think there's any hope for progress in terms of actual equality? I mean, compared to the rest of the world, the U.S. is, it has a lot of things right. It's not all, it's not all bad. And I don't mean to like be super negative, but there's just some things, the disparity between rich and poor and racial stuff that it's, we still have a lot of ways to go. So do you, do you feel hopeful or does it feel hopeless for the future i mean some days it does feel hopeless some days on those really hard days when you know the roots of those issues are all systemic you know a kid wouldn't be acting out in school if there was appropriate housing if there's appropriate food uh, access if there is equal medicine access you know if their parent wasn't in jail for selling pot like eight uh ten years ago which is now le uh, medically legal, you know, but we still have plenty of black and brown people locked up in Greaterford and the other state, state prisons in the state and across the country. So, you know, but there's always those glimmers of hope and we see it a lot now for as bad the information age is, it also has its goodness. Like for example, we're able to communicate yeah. uh, you and me on a 12 hour time difference. I'm literally on opposite ends of the world, yeah. which 
is not something that uh, our parents' generation had uh, or our grandparents' generation had, I, which I use that as a marker because our grandparents' generation is still the generation that was through all of uh, the Civil Rights Act and coming out of, if not, in World War II. So like it is, we, we simplify a lot of this because it's recent, right? But it's really, really important to recognize like it is so huge and how it all impacts and the growth amongst it with social media, with access to internet and seeing, you know, protests all over the world standing with different, uh, you know, ideals with different um, people. You didn't, you just didn't see that because the news wasn't out, out as much, you know. Um, the newspapers printed what they thought were important. And then, then if you're internationally, you wouldn't see that if unless you knew where to look, where now you can go on Reddit and be like, okay, I'm going to stand with the American people and their fight with women's reproductive rights. And I can be in Munich, Germany. And I can do that at the same time that I'm doing because we're learning about things. And I'm learning things that are happening in Southeast Asia or happening in Russia or instantly so you're able the 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 hope is there because the information is there um now where you kind of have to throw it up to the wind is that ever bigger philosophical discussion which i'm sure you and me have had a million different times uh, sitting bored on the fifth floor as of if people actually want to do the change that is the question right? right but the hope has to be there that at the core people are always going to look out for the greater good and helping other people. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And in terms of technology, um, obviously there's a lot of advantages as you, as you mentioned and laid out, but there's obviously a lot of disadvantages, especially it's, we're still involved in a social experiment in a, in a sense, like we don't really know the ramifications of the, gen the generation that grew up with the, the smartphone, what, how it's going to really affect them or then the, their kids. So it, you work in a school system. So what, what kind of um, problems have you been encountering because of technology? I mean, technology, technology and the negative aspect when it comes to schools, I mean, sure, it speeds up bullying. It allows other avenues for people to feel other or lesser because um, it also floods your images if you have people that are having issues with body image stuff because they are on the internet and see quote unquote what sexy people look like versus not which you know now there's more avenues for those people to find uh body positive resources or affirmations that get them through that versus like when we grew up because we're in that in interesting generation where we knew what the world was like before the internet and we also know what the world is with the internet last of the so, mohicans that's a, a, with a uh a brown-faced Daniel Day-Lewis, the true American uh, analogy right there. <laughs> but, great movie, um, though. Great movie. Absolutely great movie. <laughs> Can't be made today at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, super kind of racist. Very. Um, I mean, there is a lot of negatives, for sure. And I think, if we're talking specifically a school system setting, like, I have a whole different rant about the educational system in America and how it hasn't been changed for over a hundred years. And it's based on wealthy white children going to school and it doesn't work in a public school setting that in cities or other areas that are uh, bigger de uh, demographics. Anywho, that's a different discussion. Uh, 
but technology on a negative aspect for sure. I mean, people, and there's plenty of research about brain chemistry and like, you know, that needing, 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 needing aspect. But I think the area, and this is where I'm a huge, huge proponent for technology, love it. And I will always argue for it where I think the part that goes missing is exactly where the people don't want to talk about it, is what's the discussion happening at home. Everything starts at home as the parent giving a child a cell phone at the age of seven years old, just to placate them because they're yelling and screaming. And they're like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And listen, I get it. Everyone's tapped out at the end of the day, but it is, it was, you know, it's generations and parents jobs to, lead the, the 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 children to be better citizens and yes it takes a village and i do agree it, it does take a village it isn't just a family's job but if we had more people that either you know had the understanding of technology and understand how to put limits in place and understand the why i mean that's a completely different discussion about how we view and how children view technology if they know hey I'm only limited my devices after I do my homework, after this time and this and that. Yes, they're going to want it more, but it's up for the parents to be like, this is not an appropriate use. This is not, you're seven years old. Who are you calling right now, right? Who are you talking to on the internet? But those are the discussions that are not had. And that's the issue with some intergenerational problems. Like now we have our generation, you know, a in our, generation of like 28 to I would say like 40 of people having kids now. And it's up to our generation who understands and has seen the effects of technology, both good and bad to be like, Hey, we got to, you know, make sure there's limits here. Mm. But again, the same argument could be used for any technology that has changed throughout time, whether it was the newspaper, whether it was the A-track player, whether it was the VHS, the DVD, anything that the younger generations are doing will always be deemed as like deviant. It's the whole reason why hippies were a big deal because they weren't 17 year olds anymore. They were 20 year olds being like, oh, I'm gonna be different mom. And everyone got, gave them shit. I mean, and also, I mean, there's the whole discussion about, uh, you know, LSD and all that stuff and mind control from the American government, which is still hysterical that the American government is like, no, what's going to work LSD guys. That's how we're going to get them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I go coming back to it off my rant about like, there's always going to be that old man at sitting at their fence being like those kids. I do think it needs to be a better, bigger, uh, community and society discussion of how we view and use technology and adults can use that too, honestly. Right. And you bring up a good point about, I mean, like when I was in, when we were in university, I was, I hate to sound old, but I feel, and it worries me, man, I feel less hopeful kind of than before where you're kind of a dreamer when you're studying and it's, you're in the like honeymoon phase of like, you're learning about the world. And then we're, we're kind of like, you know, I wanted to protest and be an activist and I still consider myself an activist, but it's not like I'm not as active as before. And I think like the hippies for are a perfect example. They wanted to change the world and they did in, in some ways, but then they, they realized, oh, I have to get a job. Yeah. So things like this happen. And I, and, and you know me, man, I'm like, I'm the, I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan, Philly sports fan, but just check me out. 
Imagine if people rallied together like they do for the Phillies and Sixers and Flyers and Eagles came together in those numbers to protest war. Yeah, I mean, we... It's a little bit concerning. You, you see my point? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I am being transported back into 2011 and 2010 because I know this is an ideal you've had for a very long time. Uh, and definitely have hit me with this question before. And a younger, <laughs> dumber Max did. I was like, what the hell are you talking about, Soren? Uh, it's, like, it's 9 a.m. Yeah, it's 9 a.m. I was drinking the night before. It's a Wednesday. Like, <laughs> leave me alone, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. And I, I, I think anytime you have numbers show up, right? Um, just for, if we're talking uh, big world events, because the world only cares about white people. Uh, and in the news, and that's why Ukraine is huge. Let's be real. Um, oh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's unfortunate. You know, we have world, all, we have war all over the the world, but you know, the news only yeah. picks it up for some people. Which I'm not saying that to undermine the Ukrainian people who are struggling, because absolutely they deserve to be on the news. But just we've seen it, um, at least in American news. I can't speak to everywhere else. Uh, you know, the focus of you know, a, a news headline based on someone's skin color. And I mean, it happens here all the time, uh, even based on Americans too. But um, uh, the people show up in numbers and, and, and it makes people sweat, the people in power, right? Like Russia is a big example right now because they have not had, uh, you know, it's not the Cold War where they're able to, you know, get everyone in line based on, because everyone is struggling uh, economically and things like that. It's in the information age and you have young people in our generations, but Russian who are trying to fight that. And that is half the reason why that narrative out of Russian state media is so different is because they have to go back to those headlines um, because those, those groups of people that show up and America, I mean, a big stopper that, you know, a, doesn't allow people to protest at you know, convenient times that are going to actually matter or disrupt or make a presence. It's because of, you know, capitalism and the, the American dollar. And you need to, you need a roof over your head. You need food. You need to be able to get there. You need to feed your children and your family. So like people have to weigh the pros and cons, right? You either go a day without pay if that is what your job is or you're standing up for you believe. And that unfortunately is how a large amount of, you know, American politics is run. And we see it even now happening um, in states that are, you know, that should be on the rooftops uh, making the biggest noise about what the Supreme Court is doing for women's rights, women's reproductive rights. And the sta states that rank the highest and using those are the ones that are least able to protest because they're some of the poorest, they're some of the least medically accessible states, you know? So it's tough. So in terms of you have a obviously you have a pretty strong moral compass and you, you, you know, you most social workers or people in your field who want to help others, you know, it's not about the money. It's about meaning. And that's like very important in life. But we, we need to survive. We need to eat. So and I've talked to a lot of people about this and it's something I, I really haven't. I mean, I guess people like search their whole lives for the balance between living in a meaningful way and being taking care of yourself and your family and also not like 
praying to money like it's a it's a religion and a lot most people i would say really like money is their number one care they just it's their god um we're not like that but how have you done with the the balance between between that i mean it's hard uh, especially as i've gotten later in my career the best way i can explain it is you know when you under when you graduate with undergrad in social work there's always that level up whether that's a master's or uh one tier license or second tier clinical license and all those take years and years in time there's always that looking up and be like okay when i get that i'm gonna be good because i'll make more money and once i get that i'll be good i'll make more money and now that i'm at like the top there because i don't have i have a clinical license and in on this field you don't go and get your doctorate unless you want to do research or you want to teach so in the state of Pennsylvania, I'm like the top dog when it comes to what I'm able to do as a social worker. And some days when it's really, really hard and like you just don't feel great, I'm like, shit, I can be making more money doing HR at Comcast downtown, working from home, but feeding that capitalist machine of not doing anything. And it's tough because that sounds really, really, really good some days. Yeah. I feel like, hey, I can... I can work from this desk. I'll hang out with my dog. Lunch breaks, I'll play like 30 minutes of video games and get back to work. But then like, I have to balance that in my head of, you know, it's a back and forth too. I, I'll be, yeah, I would be lying to say if I didn't apply for a job some at some point to be, that was completely not in the field just to get away from it. But then when you have those wins, it makes it all that more uh, better. I mean, that sounds cheesy as hell saying it like that, but it's, you know, that's what keeps it going. And I will always advocate, and I do supervise people, and I tell them this as well, I always advocate for people to do what they have to do for themselves. Um, and whether that is a career change, whether that's leaving a job, whether that's doing something different, I will always advocate for that and for myself as well. Um, because if you're not, you know, if this, whatever you're doing is not your passion and it's not bringing you joy. You know, life is too short to be stressed out all the time. That is one thing I'm very proud of our generation standing up for where we kind of broke that. And in the generation above us too, like Gen X, we're, we're big into that counterculture of fighting against like corporations forcing us into this time instead of, you know, and we get called lazy for taking vacations and stuff and wanting to enjoy life. Uh, Cause you know, we don't, live every day to work, you live every day to live and you work to keep your lights on. That should be the mentality. And you know, Soren, uh, I tell so many people, I was like, yeah, I know some dude that, you know, he graduated undergrad, he just moved to Southeast Asia to be a monk. <laughs> and, and they're like, no, he didn't. That's not, that person's not real. I was like, no, no, he's real, he's real. And they're like, where is this guy from? I was like, oh, he's from Philly. I was like, is he Asian? And that white guy, he's, he's white. And they're just like, what the fuck is he doing? I was like. He just wanted to do that. So I, I, I always could tell your story because it, to me, it amplifies, I am going to take life by my own reins and I'm going to do with it what I, what I want and not have to fit into a system uh, that's going to make me feel less than and not accomplish what I'm trying to do in life. So I always, I always think about you when it comes to that, because you literally were like later and you had and you, I mean, you've been all over Southeast Asia too, right? I, I don't even know where yeah. you are right now. Are you in Indonesia I'm in or Tha Thailand? Thailand, yeah. Thailand. Yeah, man, it's, it's very important. Like you have to feed, I, like money will come and go and there's never going to be enough. 
usually. And even if you have all the money in the world, you're going to want more and you're going to feel empty. So it's like, you know, if you get that Comcast job, it might be like, damn, I can play more video games. I have, it's like no stress. Like, but then after a few weeks, man, you're going to be like, this sucks. Like I'm not, I miss people. I miss dealing with people and doing something meaningful. So that, that hole that you'll have is much bigger than the one of like, I'm, I'm too stressed and it's not enough money. That's, that's the kind of thing that's hard to fit to fill. And I think a lot of people go through their whole life and they've only kind of tried to climb the corporate ladder and they have all the money and they have a boat and then it's not enough. Yeah. So, but listen, man, uh, I only have 40 minutes on my Zoom. So. I mean, I can use a link. I have longer if you'd like it because I have the school district's Zoom and Google. That's up to you. Um, and I can, can record we, it and cut it to you somehow. Can you like add it now or I don't know how it works. No, I probably have to hold on. I probably would have to leave this and then send a link, but I can do that. It's up to you though. Um, I think we, we could, probably, could probably stop here. We could continue for round two another time if you want. Dude, I, you know me. I it's always fun, right? Are you cutting that or do you uh, want to jump back into something? Uh, yeah, I'll cut right here. So, yeah, we'll continue for next episode, uh, round two next time, okay? All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you, man, and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Have a good one.